I'm so excited to do this. I gotta look at the. Uh, I'm gonna get something first. I'm so excited! I'm so scared. Oh, it's Easter, not spring break, Josh. We were talking about that earlier. Easter. No, I said Good Friday. No, you said Good Friday for the stock market. We were trying oh, to say it was spring why break. Why the staff for... has off? Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Easter. <laughs> FSU does have a spring break this year. Josh defensively goes, I yep. said it was Good Friday. <laughs> like, I'm, you're like accusing me of being insensitive to the what? To another religion. <laughs> I, that's the way I took it. That seems like a you problem at that point. Yeah, it is. Okay. Man, my back hurts so bad. Let's do this. I'm going to a chiropractor tomorrow for the first time. <sighs> if you see me getting up and stuff, it's because my back hurts. Oh, so I can start recording with you standing up? Like you, you could? You're, you're, well, I know I can free country. Three, two, one. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. I am joined by a full bench today, Chris Snee, Zach Blostein, and Josh Newberg. Gentlemen, hello. Hope you had a good weekend. Let's start off with uh, with Christopher. He looks a little little gloom, gloomy, glummy, sad. I'm okay. All good things come to an end. Okay, Eeyore. So, so Chris is recording this from a hotel room in Indianapolis. He was up at Indy for the Sweet 16. FSU hoops, unfortunately, at season ends, uh, they, they, they lose in pretty convincing fashion to Michigan. So, Chris, let's start off there. Uh, let's start off, man. The, the fan base is going to want to talk about the officiating. Uh, personally, like, yeah, it was not good officiating, but I thought FSU was, was frankly, outclassed. And and change my mind on that, please. Oh, no, the officiating stunk. Um, that's been true of a lot of games in the tournament. And I don't think it was officiating that necessarily stunk directly one way. I mean, they called a foul on Michigan when MJ Walker fell on the court. He wasn't fouled. He simply fell. So that's an example in that game where whistle just was erroneous for the other team. But uh, it was clear early on in that game, it was not going to be officiated in a manner that benefited FSU. I don't know if FSU recognized that all, all that well, because they were still playing to contact on offense at time and getting called for charges and stuff like that. But I mean, it was pretty evident. I think Turk's first foul, maybe a second foul early in the game. You know, he didn't play much of the first half because of picking up two early fouls. It was abundantly clear that that was not going to be a game where FSU was going to be allowed to establish kind of a dominant physical presence, which I think they definitely have over Michigan. Michigan is much more about spacing and bothering you and creating essentially tough shot looks, making you pass it around, forcing you to really play the shot clock, create a good look create a basket or dribble drive and attack them and finish at the rim. And uh, in both of those regards, FSU wasn't very good. They didn't shoot very well in the evening, started very poor from the perimeter, didn't hit one in the first half from outside. And they got to the rim enough, but they had easily half a dozen shots, I would say, that rolled off the rim in that game that they just didn't finish. But truthfully, it looked like a one versus a four, and the one looked like a one, and the four looked like a team that is a four. And, um, you know, an 18-point loss in the season is disappointing. It's arguably the worst loss of FSU season in the sense of point differential. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, I, I think FSU kind of met their ceiling on the season personally. You know, I think this team making it to the Sweet 16 is kind of where they were going to be. There were point guard issues all year. Turnovers were a culprit in many of the losses and even some of the wins. At times, the inside game just wasn't good enough. I mean, Ball I thought had a much better season this year than obviously last year. 
but the depth on the interior wasn't great. I thought Malik played really well yesterday, but truthfully, his greatest value was he knocked down some three-pointers in the second half and opened up the floor a little bit for FSU, something they struggled with in the first half. But uh, I think, the, you know, I wrote it in the column after the game, and I feel it. I think the future is very bright around these parts. I think Leonard Hamilton and his staff are very good self-evaluators in the sense of taking a look at the past season, figuring out what were the shortcomings, how do we get better, how do we improve upon this. And there's a reason they've played in three straight Sweet 16s, and they're one of only three programs that have accomplished such a feat, with Michigan being one of the other two, and Gonzaga, who's probably going to win a national title, barring an upset, being the other one. So that's a really good company to be in, and I think that's where FSU is going to stay. I don't think they're falling off. They love calling themselves the New Bloods, as we all know. And, you know, you're bringing in the number two recruiting class in the country, number one in the ACC. You're also adding a high-level transfer in Caleb Mills. You know, I think Caleb Mills and Jalen Worley fixed some of your issues in the backcourt with ball handling and the ability to create your own shot and score. And then you're adding a couple bigs and John Butler and uh, Naheem McLeod out of the Juco ranks that I think will alleviate some of your issues on the interior. And then you add a guy like Matthew Cleveland, who's a bucket getter, very talented, well-rounded player, who's a wing who can play anywhere from the two to four in FSU's system. So it's a really nice insertion of talent. They will have at least one spot still available. We could see them go in the portal. You know, there's going to be 1,500 kids or so in the portal by the end of the month, probably by the end of next month. Um, so there's certainly an ability to go find a guy that you need for whatever you still feel like you need, whether that's a true ball handler or a physical post presence or a guy that just kind of is a glue guy like a David Nichols was a couple of years ago. I think they can go find that. The biggest question facing them, you know, we obviously expect Scotty Barnes to go pro, go make your money. Congrats, Scotty. Thanks for the year here. MJ Walker could come back. He made a comment last night that left the door jar for that, but I'd be very surprised if he returns. I think the expectation is entirely that he departs, moves on to what's next in his professional basketball career. He is graduating. Congrats to him on that. So that's a very good thing. The big question is Raekwon Gray. Um, you know, Gray could go. He had, a, he had a cryptic uh, social media post last night, Chris. Yeah, I don't know if it was that cryptic. It may not even been cryptic. Yeah, Josh, let him know. Let him know. You think he's coming back based on that, right? I mean, that's basically what he said. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> said, we'll be back. So I, um, I think he has unfinished business in the FSU uniform. And I didn't write that short, like short-sighted. I, I do think he will come back. Um, I think the thing with Raekwon Gray, and I've held this opinion a long time, and I love Turk. I love the player he is. I love what he can do. I love his ability at all three levels. He's a fast-handed defender. There's a lot of great things about his game. One, I think, you know, he he had his best scoring average this year. I think it was 10.8, 11, somewhere in that ballpark. I think he could definitely grow on that next year on a loaded team. I think the other thing about Turk is he's a guy that, I still think there's NBA clubs that are going to need to be one over with him. You know, some guys can go in the draft and every team needs that kind of guy on their roster. I don't think Turk's that guy. I think there's some teams that will love Turk and there's some teams that will just simply walk away from Turk. And I don't think I'd roll the dice and going in the NBA draft when it's kind of an uncertainty. I think for him, he can improve his stock in the sense of more teams finding him more appealing by coming back and having another big year on what should be a loaded team that will have a chance to, again, potentially be the ACC favorite going into the year. And I think certainly a team that can meet or exceed this year's level of success that they did truly have at the end of the day by making the Sweet 16. But, uh, you know, to put a final bow on this year, when they lost to Notre Dame, when they lost to Georgia Tech in the ACC championship, 
I lost hope that they could make the run that I thought last year's team could make. I thought last year's team could play in Atlanta in the Final Four. I didn't feel like this team could. Now, I flew my ass out to Indianapolis hoping they would so I could spend a week out here and eat St. Elmo's like seven times. But that didn't happen, and now I'm going home, and I didn't have St. Elmo's once. Let's so. let's, let's talk about that real quick, because I think that's the biggest. The effort was made. Myself, mm-hmm. two other beat members, Kurt Weiler from Dunham Crab, Brett Nevitt from De- Tomahawk Nation. We uh, we made our way there last evening. We walked in the door, but immediately our hearts sunk. Did there you make the effort on on Friday or Saturday? Or on Saturday, I guess, when you got there. No, no, we didn't try that evening. Um, huh. No. Did you I try think, making a did you try I making foolishly had some hope that we'd be here for at least another 48 hours? Disappointing. More disappointing than the hoops outcome. I have to be honest. I've been before, so I'm okay. But trust me, there's a little piece of me that wishes it was it was filled by St. Elmo's. Yeah, I was gonna live vicariously through you there, and I don't get that chance now. And I'm a little mad. Um all right, well. A good hoop season. Sorry, Chris. Uh, do you guys hear the 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 bumminess in his voice? He sounds legit sad. Like he's trying not to, but I just I hate when hoops ends. I love one. <laughs> Dude, he's so sad. I mean, even this year where they frustrated me a great deal at times, I still enjoyed the hell out of it. And you know, now what am I going to do? Watch spring football? Well, all right. We'll get into the spring to spring football. The fan base having a panic attack over uh, scrimmage updates. Uh, but first, uh, we'll we'll do a little recruiting talk because. Uh, Zach Blossing was at the scrimmage, but he was really hustling with uh, with the recruiting coverage. Uh, Josh also had some really good intel uh, as well. So I got these two guys are putting together a lot of information on both recruiting tidbits from the weekend and also kind of looking ahead to the spring game coming up in a couple of weeks. So, Josh, I'm going to throw this to you and let you kind of run point with uh, with Zachary and uh, and what we saw this weekend and what we have moving forward on the recruiting trail. Okay. Yeah. It was a big weekend for Florida State recruiting. I know it sounds weird because we're currently in a dead period, but Mike Norvell did something really smart this offseason, and that was allowing the practices which are held inside the stadium be open to the public. And when you allow anything open to the public, that means you know, recruits are part of the public. And if they want to walk in just like other people, then they're free to do that as well. And and recruits have been taking advantage of that. Um, FSU held their second spring scrimmage in Dope Campbell Stadium on Saturday. There was probably two or three dozen recruits there, um, maybe 10 to 15 that Florida State actually cared about. Um, Zach, you were in the stands. You were You were there as well. Were the recruits all together? Were they just kind of all over the place? Like, how did that work? Yeah, so we were all, like, everyone was seated on um, one side of the stadium, and they were kind of spread out, like, amongst that side. Uh, Some were sitting together. Like, for instance, uh, quarterback commit Nico Markiel was moving around a lot, um, and he actually sat down next to uh, 2023 receiver target Raymond Cottrell for some of it. Um, but yeah, they were definitely spread out. Um, but you could tell there were there were recruits in attendance. Like it wasn't just fans. Yeah, I'm looking at the confirmed visitor list now. Um, that's up on Knowles 24-7. Some big names, including Nico Markiel, Katron Allen out of IMG's running back, um, Jalen Johnson, a 2023 running back that came in from South Georgia. He picked up an offer on his way home from Florida State. So Jalen Johnson's a name to know. I spoke to him and posted an update on Knowles 24-7. Um, 
Also, Malik Bryant, a 2023 linebacker, big-time prospect. Uh, you mentioned Raymond Contrell. One guy that we were expecting to see that we didn't, um, maybe the only name was Daughtry Richardson. Have you heard back from Daughtry Richardson? We know he was in Tallahassee, right? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if he ever actually made it to Doak um, on Saturday, but I, I know he was in Tallahassee visiting with some family. And I guess it was good news to hear. Um, I, I asked him if he was going to make it back for the spring game, and he let me know that he will be. So, um, you know, even though he didn't, we didn't actually see him, and he might have not been at the scrimmage, uh, he, he says he'll be back at the spring game. So that's pretty good. Right. And uh, four-star quarterback Nico Markio, he was in Tallahassee. He was in Tallahassee the last time he committed. So he was back to attend the spring scrimmage inside Doak. He had himself a great weekend. We saw him all over the place. He was chopping it up with the uh, animals over at the Dick Hauser Stadium for the baseball game. He toured the the campus with his family, took a ton of pictures. Zach, you were able to catch up with Nico. He also let you in on a little recruiting scoop. Yeah, Nico was pretty good. Um, we, we, we talked to him after the scrimmage. And he was just, uh, you know, pretty impressed with what he saw just from the offense on the field and, and on the recruiting side of things, obviously, he's been really active um, on the trail and helping Florida State's coaching staff try and reel in some of these guys. And he said that, uh, I guess the biggest news out of talking to him was that he planned to visit for the spring game again, and he plans to bring five-star receiver Kevin Coleman with him. And I, I'm told that that you know whole visit is not completely set in stone yet, but it's likely to happen. And then he also let us know that um, a defensive back, a 2023 defensive back from his school, Cole Martin is also planning to show for um, FSU spring game. So uh, there's much more. We have a story with him on those 24 seven. So you can check that out, but he, he was pretty insightful, um, you know, behind the scenes of his, his whole recruiting uh, efforts. Nico has certainly emerged as the bell cow for this 2022 class. And I know the staff appreciates that uh, he's doing more recruiting than former 21 QB commit Luke Altmeyer did his entire time while he was committed. I know the staff, you know, really wanted to get him to do the same things Nico's doing, but just, it, it just never happened. So Nico is a big part of this uh, 2022 class. Some other good news this weekend. I saw some crystal balls flying in. I dropped three of them, but you were the first, Zach. You put in a crystal ball on Saturday evening. For who? Yep. For a uh, receiver that I mentioned earlier, Raymond Cottrell. He, like I said, spoke with Nico Markiel for a large portion of the scrimmage. The two were chopping it up while taking in um, what was going on on the field. And he said he was really impressed with Mark Dill's message about, you know, the coaching staff and how much love Coach Norvell and also Coach Dillingham show Mark Dill as a Florida State commit. So he kind of told me, he's like, yeah, I I, I kind of want to, like, get my commitment out of the way because I don't have to deal with all these college coaches hitting me up and I can just stay loyal and committed to who I, who I choose. So it looks like his timeline got pushed up um, a decent bit. I'm still working to figure out exactly when, you know, a possible commitment could happen. But if it does happen anytime soon, that's obviously a really great trend for Florida State with him. 
Yeah, and I put in a crystal ball as well on Sunday for Raymond Cottrell. He's a six foot three, two hundred five pound wide receiver out of Milton, Florida. And I've talked to some coaches, and they really think that that Cottrell is a gem in that in that panhandle area. So I would say his ranking is going to go up. But twenty four seven Sports has him ranked pretty high. There's just nobody else. He doesn't have a composite score yet. Twenty four seven Sports has him as the fourth best wide receiver and the twenty fifth uh, player overall. So he is borderline five star according to 24 seven sports it's still early on that one but uh it looks good for fsu for raymond cottrell the other two crystal balls that i put in one was for an offensive lineman that was in town and the other was for an offensive lineman that was not in town i'll talk about kenya kenya how do you say his name kenya charlton yeah i think kenya kenya charlton kenya we had a uh, speak it out session at the Valdosta MVP camp. And it's Kanaya. Yeah. Kanaya Shelton. Gotcha. And he is a six foot five, 350 pound interior offensive lineman from Brunswick, Georgia rated as the 43rd guard in the country in the 1021st best player overall, according to the composite Charlton was in town with some family watching the game. Um, Basically, from what I hear, he's leaning pretty heavily towards Florida State, wants to get his mom back in town in June. And I think a commitment would happen in the early summer or whenever he can get mom back in town. But I'm hearing it's going to probably be June. So I, I went ahead and put a crystal ball pick in for him. It looks like Zach and Brendan already have done that as well. Uh, Zach um, already had one in for a while, I think. I was on X's and Knowles last night, and uh, they pressured me into making a show crystal ball pick there. Other fans, uh, when we do that out on the bench. So, yeah, it was a show pick. And you went with a nine, Josh. I had to outdo you. Ten. Ten. It's a long. Okay. Sinone says so. Well, I feel a little bit more confident in what I was told on Quayshon Sap. Quayshon Sap, he's a, f- a four-star guard. Um, I wasn't sure FSU would take two, two interior linemen. Um but I'm told the Lee County uh, six foot five, 320 pound guard is a take. And I think Charlton and Sapp will make up Florida State's interior 2022 offensive line class for this year. Uh, so I went ahead and put a crystal ball pick in for each of them. Um, rounding out some of the other news. Real quick, Josh. Uh- because Sap's from South Georgia, and Zach and I were talking about this at the scrimmage. I love that they're really, really hammering home South Georgia on the recruiting trail. They offered Nick Cole yeah. uh, from Seminole uh, County High School recently. Uh, there's the linebacker. I always blank on his name from uh, from Lee County. Jaron Willis. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he's teammates with Sap. So uh, I like it. I'm not sure like what what why they decide to start really hammering home in that area, but it's a concerted it, effort. Um, it, it seems they like also it. offered Baxley, Georgia running back Jalen Johnson mm-hmm. uh, from Cameron Davis in 24. Who's all, right. all bad. And they had started and, uh, it. Like they went to, they got DJ Lundy was one of the first offers that they had when they arrived uh, too. And he's from, from South Georgia as well. I just love it. I love those kids. I think they, they have a high hit rate and, uh, and you have to really work, though, to kind of identify because it's so hard to get to some of these schools or so many counties in South Georgia. You have to, to really hustle to, to find them. There's so many small schools. And, and the staff seems to be making a concerted effort, like you said, Josh. Did the yeah. the kid make it in? Yes. And I noted in the recruiting scoop that's up on the uh, Knowles 24-7 website that E.J. Lightsey, um, there was four running there, – sorry, there was four linebackers in town this weekend – and of the four, 
EJ Lightsey is the one that I'm told to uh, keep an eye on, is the one that we need to know. And he is from Fitzgerald, Georgia. His film, if you, you have that is Brendan, is awesome. Damn it. I was hoping Chris was been... I, I hope Chris was going to talk for another minute. No, I'm trying to find where Fitzgerald, Georgia is. Um... <laughs> I figured you'd have a place to eat somewhere. I like may have driven It's kind of near Moultrie. Lightsey's a kid that they offered, and I went and immediately watched the film, and I loved it. I know Florida's way in that recruitment, I believe, and there might be one or two others. Georgia may be one of the others. But he he's a kid I just – in that class that I really like. He's someone I hoped was coming to the South Georgia MVP camp I went to, and he didn't show up. Um, but talking to people at that camp about some guys, you know, talking about Cameron Davis or Tommy Costello um, or Castellanos, I'm sorry – who went to UCF, um, you know, he fell in the same heap of praise of just an awesome football player on Friday nights type of play. It is Fitzgerald is north of Osceola, which is where DJ Lundy is from. And just for a little context, mm-hmm. like Osceola, Georgia, uh, when I went to go cover his commitment ceremony, uh, I, one couldn't get Wi-Fi access at the school too. Like when you drive through downtown, like there's a subway and that's about it. So it's small. And I think Fitzgerald may be even smaller than Osceola, Georgia. So it's not far from Baxley where they offer Jalen Johnson. <laughs> it's, it's just to the East of the 75 corridor between uh, Ashburn and, and Tifton. Hey, I drove up to Cairo, Georgia this, this week to do some bourbon hunting. I, I shit you not. They had a radio shack there still really? a radio shack. I don't know if it was, like still open and operational, but it existed. And, and that right was kind of the cool. blockbuster. Uh, there was across the street in RCA uh, right across the street from it. I, again, not exaggerating. It was cool. Uh, that's, that's about it for the recruiting scoop. I posted a full article on Knowles 24 seven that gives a lot of good context to the weekend and all that. Um, but this won't be the last big weekend for Florida state. They're not going to scrimmage this coming weekend, but the spring game is right around the corner Zach, you posted a a starter list for the visitor for the vis uh, uh, for the spring game. Ah, uh, you synoned it. It's not so easy, is it, Newberg? <laughs> <laughs> Were you surprised at the? I mean, just the sheer number of kids that have already confirmed that they're going to come to the spring game. Definitely, I I think I, I felt like I was messaging every kid to see you know if they were if they plan to show up at the spring game i was getting like most of the kids were just immediately responding yes i'm coming like it seems like this effort has been going on for you know a few weeks to try and get a lot of these kids that they've offered on campus for the spring game um and obviously a lot of other schools aren't doing similar things uh to to these type of events where they're not able to you know contact them in person but still getting them on campus to watch the team in person and around other recruits is, is pretty important. And Florida State's done a great job from, you know, the returns so far from all these guys that say they're coming. Yeah. And, and we'll be updating this list on Knowles 24 seven, but a couple of the standout names are MJ Morris. I'm just going to go down here and skip through here. Kevin Coleman, five-star wide receiver, uh, five-star defensive end, Shamar Stewart, Four-star linebacker Wesley Besaint, who we talk about a lot. Travis Hunter is going to be in town for the game. A whole lot of 20 – geez, you have almost two dozen 2023 names already confirmed. 
And FSU's lone 2024 commitment, Cameron Davis, is going to be in town as well. So you can check all those names out on Knowles 24-7. Zach, good job with that. And I'm sure you're going to be adding more as the week goes on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely going to be trying to get confirmations on some some, uh, other recruits. So I think the list will definitely get um, changed a lot leading up to April 10th. All right. Thanks a lot, Zach. Uh, We're going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to talk about the actual scrimmage. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. On Saturday inside of Doak Campbell Stadium, the Seminoles were doing their second scrimmage of the spring. Um, Brendan, you were able to watch both of them now. So what was the biggest takeaway from scrimmage one to scrimmage two for you? All right. So so the difference, the biggest difference from, from one to two, uh, I think, would be that in the first one, there was a legitimate back and forth uh, where the offense would go on some, some spurt drives where it would move down the field. And we're talking about the first team, second team, kind of like a third team uh, deal too, although they kind of, they blend it. There's just not enough depth to really have a full third team, but right. going to the second scrimmage, the offense, the first team offense led by Jordan Travis, they moved down the field methodically on the very first drive. Uh, Jay Trav does what he does with the legs and they're able to go ahead and, and score on a little tunnel screen at Keyshawn Helton, which was great to see him looking really quick and explosive, catching the ball and turning up field. But then after that, Josh, the first team offense nor the second team, offense was able to put the ball into the end zone. The, the only other time the offense scored a touchdown the rest of the day was when uh, was when Geno English walk-on quarterback uh, and kind of that, that hybrid second to third team uh, combo threw a touchdown pass. Uh, and that was it. So the defense, uh, Mike Norvell called it dominant. It was pretty close to, to dominant. I mean, the defensive line, really both the, the ones and the twos controlled controlled things. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that was the, the general takeaway is that the the defense won the day that left the fan base in a bit of a, a bit of a tizzy, I think. What is your biggest concern now that you've been able to see two scrimmages? I mean, the offense, we talked to Mike Norvell afterward and he was not happy. I mean, he didn't say a whole lot because that's what Mike Norvell does, but you watching it, what was your biggest concern of the offense? Uh, so a couple things, I think one, the lack of, home run plays was was evident. They didn't hit a bunch of chunk plays. And Kenny Dillingham talked about this. You either have to be a methodical driving team where you can string together eight, 10 plays and mm-hmm. move the ball down the, I mean, matriculate it, uh, old school word there for football uh, down the field. And that's not something that this team has proven it can do in, in years now. Uh, but they've oftentimes at least had the haymaker approach to score. And that wasn't existing on Saturday. And I think my larger concern beyond just like Saturday is that 
I don't know that there's a ton of explosiveness at the skill positions, Josh. I'm not basing that just on the one, you know, the viewing window of, of Saturday's scrimmage. We've, we've mm-hmm. talked about this for about a week or two now uh, from the spring practice. It's just, I mean, Jay Sean Corbin's a nice running back. He actually looked really sharp on Saturday. Uh, but outside of that, there's just not someone who really consistently moves the ball when, when you get them. During the, the first scrimmage, though, you, you you were adamant, or not just you, but everybody, that Treshawn Ward was the standout on offense and he, he was. was the guy and and, and this. But yep. I didn't really hear that in this second scrimmage. No, the defense, for what it's worth, I mean, they that's kind of this whole crux with when we're covering scrimmages, right? It's like when, when someone – or practice, when someone does something well, someone does something poorly, vice versa. The defense tackled better on Saturday, Josh. They got Treshawn Ward, Lawrence Toe Philly on the edges in space for one-on-ones. Uh, those guys didn't make the misses that they made the previous week uh, nearly as frequently. The defense did a much better job. I think there's only one notable like missed tackle in space. Brendan Gant went to try to blow up Ontario Wilson uh, on a pass over the middle of the field, uh, and Pokey kind of spun around him and, and then turned it into a big play. It just didn't happen a ton. There just wasn't a ton of playmaking. Um, now, whether that's the defense tackling better and being more aggressive and, and technically sound, or whether that's the offense – uh, not having the playmakers still kind of wishing to have you know, Andrew Parchment and, and Destin Hill on campus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the, that means as far as projecting moving forward. Um, I do have concerns that they don't have guys who can can light up the scoreboard. That is something that we kind of entered the spring with a question mark. And right now I, that still hasn't been answered to me. One question mark. Well, I would say Entering the spring, I had no questions about the quarterback situation. I was pretty convinced, and I got on here on this pod and said, Mackenzie Milton's the guy, and there's no bones about it. So did Chris Knee. So did Chris, but I still how's you, how, what do you think <laughs> now after watching two scrimmages and, and seeing these guys in action? Do you think Mackenzie Milton's the guy, or is this thing up for grabs? It's – okay, it's up for grabs. Now, I don't – it's not – McKinley, there, there's a few things that I'm trying to work through my mind here. As I say this, I want to provide the right context. I think one Jordan Travis as a passer has made big strides. I think that's evident. We saw glimpses of it late last year. That's carried over into the spring. Zach would be the first one to tell you he's on the J Trav, the J uh, train, uh, the J Trav train in terms of what he's done progressing as a passer. Uh, Tate Rotomakers lo- looked good at the scrimmage as well. He's making progress too. McKinsey Milton's still learning the offense. If I had to put money on it right now, I would say that McKenzie Milton is still the guy I think will win the quarterback job, the starting job going into Notre Dame uh, for the season opener. Mm. But that door is left open. Uh, the variable is like what happens over the summer, what happens in the player run practices, how does chemistry kind of evolve? What does he take from learning in the spring here, learn the playbook, and how does he apply it in fall camp? The coaches have basically said this is going into fall camp, this, this quarterback uh, battle. So uh, – the door's open. I would still put money on McKenzie Milton right now, but I think it's not the the sure thing that I think all of us kind of assumed, hey, McKenzie's transferring here to start. I mm-hmm. still think that's ultimately what happens, but but McKenzie has to show improvement of learning the offense from this time from now to to the start of the season, Josh. Okay. That takes care did, of all did my I, questions. Did I answer it? Did I answer it? I think I did. Yeah, you answered it. And it, it just seems like uh, it's not that Jay Trav's really running away with the, the the job. It's more like Mackenzie Milton, what, can't really get it in gear? Like you're not really seeing it all put together. Is that how you would describe Mackenzie Milton to this point? I've seen flashes with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I haven't seen, I think that's a good way to put it in gear. I haven't seen a rhythm. I haven't seen him really start dealing. I haven't seen him start um, leading drives consistently, either through practices or through scrimmages. Uh, it still seems like, and he's made progress here, but it still seems like he's processing the offense. It's not natural for him. It's not like he knows exactly where to go with the football right away. Now, when so things break down and he has to, to move around, that's when he kind of shows some of that specialness where he can move around in the pocket a little bit. He put a nasty juke move on Kalen Deloach on Saturday and caused him to kind of break his ankles. And so Mackenzie Milton still has some of that athleticism that made him special at UCF, maybe a step slower, but he still has it. And I think he does a really good job when things break down of, of getting the ball into a place where his guys can, can make a play on the ball. Um, but just in terms of the offense being in rhythm and kind of running the, the way it's designed, like for some of the RPO or some of the quick concepts that Mike Marvell and Kenny Dillingham want, I don't mm-hmm. think it's just there naturally for, for KZ right now. But again, it's only he's only 10 practices into running this offense. Right. That he's never run before. I got a quick question. So now can this team line up and just run the ball? Not consistently. They can run the ball like we saw last year, Chris, but I don't think it's like a I still think there's that, that feast or famine where uh where there could be penetration to kind of derail a drive. And that's where they got in trouble too, man. It's like they had a penalty. Uh, with the offensive line or they had a bad snap or if they just got stuffed on an early down uh, more or less. I mean, it was nice to see Jay Trav hit the Ontario Wilson uh, pass over the middle of the field on third and long. That was good to see that, that that's something I don't think they can do a year ago, but in general, the ability to just kind of line up and say, we're just going to run four or five yards at a time. Uh, I have not seen that consistently through two scrimmages. Am I missing anything on, on that Zach? Like, am I forgetting a, a chunk where they just consistently kept jamming the ball down the, the defense's throat. Yeah. I think the only time that they were, you know, moving the ball down the field consistently was like a, a bunch of dump, uh, like they were dumping the ball down to like Corbin for like short uh, passes. And he was getting some yards like that. But other than that, they were, they were in the running game specifically, like you're talking about that there was no like clear momentum down the field, uh, on this this scrimmage that I just watched and from practice as well from the practice that I've been to there, there just hasn't been enough um you know production there to say that they, they'll have a established running game in the fall Zach's point brings up a good one that Kenny Dillingham brought up is that quarterbacks have to know and accept their checkdowns at times that's something I think he was disappointed in Saturday is that there were plays that weren't there whether it was coverage or it didn't develop in the route but there were checkdowns and the quarterbacks didn't take them effectively. It sounded like from what he said when he was asked about the quarterback play. There was one play in particular, if I, if I remember remembering it correctly, and it all kind of gets blurred together when you're watching a hundred plays with the same team in the same uniform. Uh, so it is kind of hard to, to kind of differentiate, but I remember there was a play where uh, Jordan Travis was rolling out and he kept his eyes downfield and threw the ball down to the perimeter uh, about 15, 20 yards, and it was an incompletion. It was out of bounds, and he had a, a check down wide open underneath. If he just throws it down there, um, that's probably a 10, 15-yard gain and moves the ball, which is what you're looking for. Uh, those are the things that they want to be more consistent. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, Jordan Travis did a nice job, I thought, using his running backs in the passing game while kind of sprinkling in some some uh, downfield stuff. He's getting better in that, in that regard. But, yeah, it's just – None of the quarterbacks to me, I guess, is when things break down. I don't see consistently like someone who's making something special happen. Jay Trav obviously has the legs. KZ does some of that in the pocket. Uh, Rotomaker, I think when things get off script is, is when he still struggles, which is to be expected for, for a young guy. Um, 
yeah, there's not a whole lot of right now fluidity and, and cohesiveness to the offense. But again, there, there's still a lot of time for, for that to improve. All right. Let's move it over to the defense. Uh, from all accounts, defense won the day. So what looked good on the defense? Fabian Lovett. Fabian Lovett looks good. And he continues to look good, too. He looks like a million bucks. Like, he's in better shape. He's moving quicker. Uh, and Robert Cooper was back practicing as well. So that allows you to move uh, to, to move Fabian Lovett around a little bit, whether it's like a three-tech or one-tech. He can play both. Uh, so he was very disruptive. That was two scrimmages in a row. It sounded like he also had a really nice week of practice last week. So he's stringing together uh, consecutive good practices. So I thought he flashed a ton. Um, honestly, Derek McClendon and Quayshon Fuller both had really nice moments and, and like spurts where they'd make a couple plays in a row. Derek McClendon pursuing downfield and and uh, and hustling. Same with Quayshon Fuller. That's going to be big because those guys are going to get pushed. You know, when Patrick Payton uh, and, and George Wilson arrive, like there's there's reinforcements coming that are going to be vying for for playing time. You need the depth to be better at that defensive end. Outside of Jermaine Johnson, it really hasn't existed yet. We haven't gotten to see Kier Thomas uh, through the spring. So uh, for those guys to to show well in the scrimmage, and they they have actually practiced pretty well the last like week or two, uh, maybe week or so. Um, that was good to see. I thought that Stephen Dix Jr. flashed and flashed in the sense like not just making plays inside the box, which we know he can do, but getting out to the perimeter and looking a little bit more comfortable turning and running. That's going to be big, especially if Emmett Rice is out for, for an extended period. We don't know quite the timeline yet for him, but but for Stephen Dix Jr. to be show more comfort there. And, and then Amari Gaynor, he does something special every single practice, every time we watch him especially blitzy and they were able to get some blitz packages and what he brings off the edges is, is really impressive. Uh, so those are the standouts I could think of on defense. The secondary was kind of quiet, uh, which I think is ultimately a good thing for those guys. And especially the first team guys, uh, Jerry and Jones had another nice practice, right? Zach, tell, tell Chris, Jerry and Jones stepped up. <laughs> yeah. Jerry and Jones looked pretty nice out there. Obviously mm-hmm. is the preseason all American, like Chris likes to say. Um, we <laughs> Chris is very much so he needs to, to see it uh, consistent to, to be fair Chris hasn't gotten to see it in, in person very much either like the best moments even at the scrimmage last week he left with a few minutes left to get home to try to be in position for the uh, for the press conference for Norvell and he missed the Jerry and Jones uh, big stick there so Chris is all just hearing it he needs to see it there'll be time for that Chris I'll absorb it all here over the next two weeks <laughs> uh, but no the secondary was was good too. Um, Kevin Knowles the second has been a bright spot, right? As far as those newcomers. And they actually had played him. It's tough because he's been in the nickel a lot, which kind of gets hidden up in this defense somewhat uh, to where like, it's the same thing with Jamie Robinson. Like he never gets gashed or anything like that. Never makes like a huge impact play. You're just kind of this like steady consistency. Uh, but he had to play outside a little bit more this, this past week, just because they're dinged up at cornerback right now. And yeah, he had a nice PBU downfield. I don't remember him getting picked on at all. Uh, Marcus Woodson talked very highly of him earlier this week and basically said, like, if we had to play this season, like right now, he would be in the mix. He'd be in the rotation. So that's a guy I think that they like as like a very steady, reliable piece to kind of build around there in the secondary. Tell me about the linebacker rotation with Emmett Rice out for the foreseeable future. What was the uh, what was the depth like? It, the depth the depth is a little shallow because Julio McCray also uh, out for a little bit as well. I don't know for a, a long time, but but he is out right now at this point in the spring. Uh, he was there on the sideline uh, on on Saturday with with a 
his hand taped up. I believe he had a procedure there. So hopefully he can be back by the spring game. But but right now that yeah. leaves you with the scholarship linebackers of Stephen Dix Jr. He steps into the middle linebacker role as a starter. He was working as the backup primarily uh, during during the spring. So he's the true number one next to Amari Gaynor at will right now. So those are your starters. They moved DJ Lundy from a backup will linebacker to the primary backup Mike middle linebacker. Uh, and then Kalen Deloach steps up as the, the number two weak side linebacker. Uh, and honestly, Kalen Deloach, I mean, it's huge. You need that an extra. I, we wrote about it a lot this preseason. You, you need that fifth linebacker to kind of step up in the rotation. Well, now they only have four. Kalen Deloach has actually made the most of his opportunities, I feel like, where he's he's showing some comfort, like especially when he gets out in space, some of the athleticism shows up. He just has to get more comfortable kind of processing things uh, in the box and not getting – caught up in traffic as much, but, but he's looked okay. Uh, DJ Lundy provides like a big hit once per practice. Like he's always kind of in the mix as a big hitter, mm-hmm. but, but to me, yeah, Steven, Steven Dix Jr. Is the guy you have to focus on because he steps into the starting role. He's a guy that had to obviously process a ton last year as a, as a true freshman, Adam Fuller articulated it really well. when he, he says like we invested in him. We invested reps into him last year and those reps obviously had growing pains but but what you hope is the growing pains means that he's evolved in in terms of processing things and, and what he sees now and then Adam Fuller is not one for for throwing a lot of sugar on on players uh he said that Stephen Dix Jr. is absolutely ahead of players he not was. named Joshua Kendo that you're throwing that around there and uh, yeah he wasn't the leader of that parade he was not the leader of that parade and keep trying to throw that around. Um, so yeah, Stephen Dix Jr. looked looks solid, and that's what you're going to need is for him to to really be consistent because uh, Emmett Rice is is solid, man. He's just a solid linebacker. I, uh, he had to clean up a ton last year for this for this defense. Uh, there'd be times where the freshman, whether it was Lundy or or Dix, would be taken on the wrong gap and Emmett Rice would have to like almost like alter his course. And, and basically he's playing like three gaps at once mm-hmm. to kind of make up for those guys. So uh, hopefully Emmett Rice isn't out for too long a period of time uh, because he's a fairly important part of, of a defense just because you don't have a whole lot of depth or experience there behind him. All right. Um, Can we real quick, Josh, uh, you have a good, you have your finger on the, on the pulse of this fan base. Were you on the message board seeing the, the meltdown on Saturday or, or the Twitter? Were you seeing the meltdown? No, I don't think it was a meltdown. I mean, I just think oh, people, was it a meltdown? I don't, yeah. I saw the message boards on Knowles 24 seven. I'm, I can say that I don't follow a ton of people on Twitter. So maybe I don't have, you know, my finger on the pulse per se of that app, but I think on Knowles 24 seven, I mean, I think the people want, the success to happen faster than it's going to happen. But I don't think there was necessarily a meltdown on, on our site, but what did you see on Twitter? Well, help me out guys. Did anyone, am I, am I dramatizing this? I mean, on Twitter, people were, seemed pretty upset as well. Um, I'm saying upset about what? Just the scrimmage. I think that this team just doesn't have talent. And uh, to me, so I went into the spring thinking like, this is probably like what we're aiming at, give or take one is six wins. Like that's what you're going for. The six and six, everything's fixed. You're moving in the mm-hmm. right direction. Um, I haven't seen anything that's deterred me from that that logic one that way or six the other. And six yeah. Logic. I, still, I still think that six and six is kind of the sweet spot for this team. Basically, well, that's what you're seeing now, right? So here, right. I got a proposition for you. Buyer Sinone. 
The players that are not on campus yet will push this team to seven wins. Sinone, like I'm still, I'm including those guys in my thought process of being part of the six and six, like that you're going to get a boost in the passing game to some extent with, with the, with Andrew Parchment and Destin Hill. Um, So I'm Sinoning that they get you to seven still. Right. And to me, it sounded like when you were talking about some of the QB play, I don't, I wasn't there, so I didn't see it, but Mike Norvell hinted at miscommunications on offense. I'm not going to say this was due to the quarterback play, but just miscommunications in general. And while we know that they lack playmakers, you know, these incoming freshmen, these guys all need to work together more. Uh, Of course, they're going to have, we're only like halfway through spring. So they're going to get double the reps that we've already seen, but then you infuse new talent and it's going to be a work in progress. Like even after game one, two, three, four, it's still going to be a work in progress. I think with this offense. We're still two thirds of the way through the spring there. So there's still you know, a few more practice to go through. Then you have the entire off season. There's still guys who have to come in and gel. Like you said, Josh, also for context, like as we're trying to, as you're trying to judge what, what one side of the ball does versus the other throughout so many practices that can be kind of convoluted and difficult uh, adding to it. This isn't even always like good on good. Like, like here, Thomas hasn't right. practiced. So so that's the guy who we think is going to start at defensive end for them. We don't even know what he's going to look like uh, you know, on that side of the ball. Jermaine Johnson, uh, they're not letting him go full go all the time. So that's, you know, and then on the other side of the ball, Devontae Love-Taylor is still rehabbing from the knee injury last year. Uh, Bavion Johnson, we haven't seen him participate in either scrimmage. He's someone that's part of the two deep for sure on the offensive line. Thomas Schrader out for the foreseeable future. That was your backup center. So that's Bavion Johnson and Thomas Schrader. That's your second and third string center uh, behind Murray Smith. They have Zane Herring snapping right now. He's never played center before. So some, there's mm-hmm. some bad snaps that's led to, to communication issues. Uh, my point being is like we're looking at, at a very diluted product right now based on what you hope it's going to look like in in the fall and part of that is just it's spring practice they're not pushing guys who aren't 100 into and jordan wilson too sorry that's a guy a tight end chris mentioned last week that that he'll help the offensive line look better as an inline blocker so it's just tough to, to judge i just wouldn't get too emotionally i would let let myself get too deterred one way or the other right now for what this team is i think it's still kind of on track to to what it needs to be for this program to move in the right direction to that same point, it speaks to the lack of depth that they have, especially developed depth. And also in the same, you know, context, that's a concern because it means your race are thin at some spots that, yeah. that you'll be good at this spot if X is here. But if X gets hurt or X gets dismissed and man, it falls off a cliff that yeah. that's you know, that's where this football team is from a roster standpoint at this stage of its development. And speaking of development, and we've talked about this before, I think that is one big takeaway through now two, two thirds of uh, of the spring. Um, just the guys that they brought in as transfers, whether it was last year or this year, these are the guys that we keep consistently talking about for the most part, right? Fabian Lovett, Jermaine Johnson, uh, just looking the part. I mean, you see Kara Thomas and Jordan Wilson walking around without shoulder pads on. It looks like they're wearing shoulder pads. Like it's hard to tell at first. Uh, those guys have been developed. FSU's strength and conditioning program just really hasn't had the benefit of high-end, competent strength and conditioning for a couple of years now. I think they have a really good guy in place in Josh Storms. He just hasn't really been able to work his magic for an extended period of time yet due to uh, due to the pandemic. So 
that depth still needs to be developed very much so. And, and just the physical development is just still a work in progress for sure at this point. I think that's been evident. And that's my takeaway this spring. I'll stop rambling, Josh. Take us home. All right. No, uh, it was good. Good, Great analysis, Brendan. Thank um, you. For, as far as this week goes, you guys will have access to today's practice. It's Monday. Um, so we'll have a live update thread on Knowles 24-7 this evening while you guys are there. But then that's kind of it for a while, right? There's no more scrimmages until the spring game. Is that correct? I don't think there's any more scrimmages. There is one more practice I think we'll have like the Thursday before the spring game on on that Saturday. So not this Thursday, next Thursday. So yeah, there'll be a, a pretty big gap uh, of time off from us actually being there to, uh, to watch things, I guess, because of uh, Easter holiday and whatnot. Right. I think we'll slow things down for a little bit. That's it. All right. Well, for Brendan Sinone, for Chris Neve, for Zach Blostein, I am Josh Newberg. Thank you for listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.